I did not choose to be born to two parents starting their ministry in a rural town, upstate Pennsylvania, where the lake effect snows blow through Easter. I did not choose to make three more moves to three more churches in the state of Maryland over the next 14 years of my life as the son of a pastor. I did not choose to be the product of smaller churches where I easily got to know people of all ages, but also felt the sting from time to time of those who were not always publicly respectful of my dad as a pastor. I did choose to attend Greenville College, not far from St. Louis. I did choose to date an attractive and thoughtful young Indianapolis woman named Nancy, who also thankfully chose me. I did choose to ask her to marry me, and she said yes. I did choose to declare my commitment to her and her alone 36 years ago, almost, at a wedding. I did choose, along with Nancy and God's wisdom, to say no to two other offers in the Midwest and to say yes to this church and embark on an adventure I could not have imagined. I did choose, and I am still choosing, to love and shepherd this wonderful church family. There are things we get to choose and things we don't get to choose. The choices I listed were all good choices. Have I made some bad choices? You betcha. Those happen. And you know, God's family is wide and diverse. And on our branch of the theological tree, we believe as God chose to send his son for us and Jesus chose to die on a cross, so we too have been given the freedom to make choices. And of course, God gives us the freedom to make good and bad choices. These choices always, without fail, have consequences for good or for bad. And when we call upon God, he will give us wisdom and walk with us. Now, how this fits into the larger picture of who God is and him knowing our future, and yet he's giving us choices, how that fits, that's a big question. But we do know we can decide to follow him or not follow him. We can decide whether to walk in his wisdom or rely on our own. So today we're going to focus on three dudes and three choices. This Sunday we dive into the story of Joseph, which goes from chapter 37 of Genesis all the way to chapter 50. I'm only going to deal with the first 28 verses of 37. Next week, it's going to take four pastors to finish the story off. Now, before you stay away after hearing that glowing endorsement, we're not all going to speak 20 minutes apiece, though there is much to say. The story is packed with all kinds of things. Today, we're going to look at 37. Now, as we grapple with choices made, it's easy for us who maybe know this full story of Joseph to say, well, of course they all made these choices. Because there's a happy ending, we see these decisions all as ones that should have been made to make the story. However, let us remember that God works with and in spite of our good 
and bad choices. This story may have looked differently while still having the same outcome that we know, had different decisions been made. Open your Bible with me. Let's look at Genesis 37, or you can look up here as well. We'll start with verse 1. I'm going to read a section at a time. We'll dig in a little bit, uh, grab some few good things, see what it means for us, and then move to the next verses after that. Let's pray first. Lord, uh, you've given us your word this morning. You've given us this story. And we are ones who are going to be making choices today. We're making choices at this very moment. We're making a choice to listen or to not listen, to uh, obey or not obey. Whatever it is, God, you have given us the opportunity to choose. So as we read the story, may we already let it start to seep into our lives, into our hearts, into our minds, into our soul, and to hear what it is you have for us. Thank you, God, that you speak, that we can trust you. In your name, amen. 37.1, Jacob settled into the land where his father had lived as an alien, the land of Canaan. And this is the story of the family of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age, and he had made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Once Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field, and suddenly my sheep rose and stood upright. Then your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheep. Well, his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams. Joseph had another dream and told it to his brother, saying, hey, look, I've had another dream. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars. Get it? 11 stars were bowing down to me. He, I added the get it part. <laughs> but you know he was thinking that. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what kind of dream is that that you've had? Shall we indeed come, your mother and your brothers, and bow down to the ground before you? So his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So dude number one, choice number one, and I would label this choice, it's all about me. In this passage, we see Joseph is 17 years old. He's shepherding Jacob's flock with his brothers, and Joseph is already in trouble with for bringing a bad report about some other people to Jacob. And Jacob apparently didn't learn from his mom. Remember his mom who favored him over Esau? Now here's Jacob doing the same thing. Like her, he's favoring one of his children over the others. The brothers hated Joseph and had nothing good to say to them. And in their culture, to not be able to speak peaceably to someone was 
that was horrible for that to happen. So Joseph has two dreams. He decides to share with his brothers. And you don't need to be an expert, of course, to interpret these dreams. In these dreams, Joseph is the man. And everybody else gets on their knees, even the entire solar system. As if they could, the brothers hated him even more after the first dream. Imagine how they felt after the second. Now, many of us who've grown up hearing this story and feeling sorry for Joseph, that's how I remembered as a kid. I felt sorry for Joseph. He was, you know, through the whole of the story, he was a victim. And in the words of Andrew Lloyd Webber in the Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, poor, poor Joseph, what you gonna do? Things are bad for you, oh, what you gonna do? Yeah, what are you gonna do, Joseph? And so for much of the story, yes, Joseph is, but here he is not. Let me say this again. We could argue for hours how this fit in the bigger plan of what God had for him, but we also know God can do his work in spite of our bad decisions. Let's look at this choice for what it was. It was Joseph only thinking of himself in those moments and not having an awareness of the situation. Nowhere, when we read scripture, does it indicate these dreams were brought on by God. Sure, we know the end of the story and how Joseph rose to a position where people did indeed bow down to him. But in this moment, we could see that Joseph had failed to be humble. And when we look to God first instead of ourselves, we can begin to bring fruitful and productive choices. Over vacation, I took up the recommendation of some other Lego Batman. Yes, I just said that. <laughs> you asked me to be your youth and children and families pastor, so I take my work very seriously and do research. <laughs> just doing my work. And I want to add today that children, youth, and the young at heart, if you have seen this, you know that there's a lot of humor for all ages, and in a good way. It's very funny, actually. I got to the end of that, I want to watch this again, believe it or not. But to show you, you're going to see Lego Batman. You can you know, impress all your kid friends and youth. Uh, has Lego Batman asking Lego Robin to go on a mission and retrieve the Phantom Zone projector to keep the bad Lego guys from doing more bad Lego things? He's helping Robin to learn how to make wise choices. So take a look at that top quote on the front of your bulletin for a minute. That will set up something I'm going to talk about, and we're going to watch this clip together. Without further ado, Lego back. Hey, I was thinking, if I'm going to be a superhero and go on awesome superhero missions like this one, can we use code names? Mine could be Robin. I'm sorry, say that again? Robin. As in the small Midwestern frail bird. Yeah, and I already have a cat tweet on the street. Hard pass. And a song. Fly, Robin, fly. Harder pass. Elf slide. Woohoo! Okay, kid, I'm gonna teach you how to master build your way inside that thing. Yay! Grab those two by sixes, pull out the actual studs, disconnect the six by ten plates. With this? Whoa, unbelievable obeying. Now, let's ride. <laughs> Toes to the nose. <laughs> now you're cleaning the cube. Yeah! Now, get creative. Nope. Freestyle a little bit. Oh, that's good, kid. It's like looking in a bat mirror. Okay. <laughs> Got the projector, Dad. Booyah. Now, 
do everything we just did backwards. Oh. Oh! Here you go, Dad. We did it! Yeah! Mission accomplished. That was fun! So Robin obeyed, and he retrieved the prize. The prize. And, of course, Lego Batman says, Whoa, unbelievable obeying. And when Robin suggests choices that would help Lego Batman, Lego Batman says, hard pass. And when Robin suggests another idea that's even worse, he says, harder pass. So let's look at ourselves this morning. When we make choices, are they unbelievable obeying? Or are we ignoring God who is firmly saying, hard pass? Let's keep going. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem, and Israel said, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them, he answered. Here I am, said Joseph. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron. He came to Shechem, and a man found him wandering in the fields. The man asked him, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers. He sees where they are pasturing the flock. The man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from a distance, and before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild animal has devoured him, and we shall see what will become his dreams. Second dude, second choice. I would label this as guilt-free choices. So Jacob makes the curious choice to send Joseph to his brothers, even though he is aware, hopefully, that they hate him. So Joseph travels the 50 miles from Hebron and arrives in the hill country at Shechem. There he finds a man who is nameless, Fields, and the man says, well, what are you seeking? And of course, Joseph said, my brothers. The man happened to run into those brothers, and he knows they went to Dothan. So Joseph follows his advice of the nameless man, and he travels an additional 15 miles to Dothan. Sounds like a word problem, doesn't it? How many miles did Joseph travel? If a camel started from Dothan at 3 p.m., and no. <laughs> he finds them. They want to kill him. Nameless man comes on the scene and forever alters the course of history and disappears. He appears out of nowhere. He disappears. Because without him, in hindsight of story, the story comes to a thudding halt. But what if the man had not shown up or not given him this advice? What if Joseph does not find his brothers? What if they cool off enough to no harm? What if, what if God would have worked with or in spite of any one of those choices? This little story, as we see in hindsight, is necessary to the entire account. Mark Gelman, in a blog post in 1997, said, this man, this nameless man, may have thought that he was just helping a stranger find his flocks, but what he was really doing was helping the Jewish people find a future, and I would say ultimately helping all of us find a future, the man with no name. I hope to meet him in heaven. He goes, hey, man with no name, are you out here? 
there are times when we know God has clearly shown us the right choice to make, the right thing to do. We see it confirmed in the Bible. We, it makes reasonable sense. Our experience with others tells us so. Our tradition, our history has proven it true. The choice to offer good words of advice to somebody else or to obey those good words ourselves. And yet, there may be some hardship in the short term. We question ourselves. But in the big picture, it turns out God reminding us that it was just as right as we originally thought it to be. In these moments, God reminds us to rest in his truth, to trust him and not let our identity be found in a quick answer or quick success. And when we trust in God, we can rest in Christ without guilt or regret for a wise choice that we have made. Guilt-free, wise choices. The final section. But when Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, shed no into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him, that he, Reuben, might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with the sleeves that he wore, the coat of many colors, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. And then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their gum, balm, and rosin on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When some Midianite traders passed by, they drew Joseph up, lifting him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Third dude or dudes, third choice. And I would label this one as everybody is not doing it. You've heard the statement or even made the statement in response to somebody begging you to do something. Come on, everybody's doing it. Join the party. Or we used to say, but I'm just going to go along with the flow. And many years ago, uh, it was brought to my attention just last Sunday, but I'd forgotten about it. I talked about a space called the special lane in a sermon. Some of you may remember that. The special lane is the part of the road just to the right of the solid white line. You may have seen it while you were sitting backed up in traffic. While you were sitting, special people decided to use the special lane so that they could get from point A to point B faster than normal you. Now, if you're trying to imagine where would this happen, uh, remember the days of no roundabout at Las Positas at about 5.30 in the afternoon when you were sitting in the incredibly long line and there were those who were in the special lane who decided to go on up and then cut in front. They're special. One day I was sitting in the normal lane Never did the special. I was tempted. Never did the special lane. And I saw a friendly off uh, offering special recognition to those <laughs> who decided to be in the special lane. Because everybody's doing it. Why not me? 
So you see, all of Joseph's brothers decided they'd had enough. They wanted to do away with Joseph. Everybody was doing it, but Reuben first delivered Joseph out of their hands. What was his big picture motive? Well, he wanted to get him back to his father. He valued life over death. Influenced Judah, who ultimately became a voice of reason and didn't go with the flow of all the other brothers. Of course, these days we hear a lot about trends. We hear a lot about the way things are going. And, and while it's important for us to consider trends and directions that people, groups may be going, we realize that the wisdom that comes from God is far more valuable than any trend or any flow. And of course, it's easy to believe that peer pressure was a thing that we left in high school or college. But I've been around enough adults, you have too. We still have peer pressure. We still have that feeling of, ah, everybody's doing that. Maybe I should consider it. Think of the first bad decision made in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve with that serpent, with Satan, just working them. Can you imagine him? Come on, Adam and Eve. If you don't do this, somebody else will. And then everybody will be doing it, and you'll be left behind. Can you imagine him saying that? That was a part of the first sin. That is a part of pride that we feel like we are owed that. So today, we've covered three different people and their choices. And in the course of this passage, I decided to go back and count how many choices were made total in those 28 verses. Nine choices were made. Now, that's not doesn't count what the 11 brothers were waffling with way back, because there could have been more. And some studies, of course, show that Children are making as many as 3,000 choices a day, and adults maybe 35,000. Now, whether those numbers are really ultimately true doesn't matter, because even if we're making 1,000 decisions a day, or 100, or 10, they all have impact, for good or for bad. It really is all about God. We can rest in his wisdom. We can courageously make a wise and a godly choice despite the flow otherwise. So early in this afternoon, as we look at the decisions we are making on a daily basis, let us also look at how we are doing in letting God, resting in his wisdom and not looking back, courageously making wise choices despite the pressure to do otherwise. And friends, we know in these days, after what happened yesterday, that more and more we need to be people of wise choices. We need to be for life. We need to be for justice. We need to stand on the strength of God and his wisdom, on the resurrection of Christ and the hope that he gives us. That is the beauty of the church. Let us say hard pass to self-serving choices and let Joshua's words found in the Old Testament, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is the beauty of the church that will serve the Lord. We are better together. We encourage one another. We challenge one another. We help each other to make the very best choices possible. Let us rest in the family that God has given us. Let us be a light 
in our community, in our world to proclaim the love that God has for every tribe and every nation and all of his people. And let's together make wise choices. These quiet moments, let's let the one and only wise God speak to us.